Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tom, one of the pastors here. And I'm just going to be honest with you, this is a heavy day for me. Saying goodbye to Greg and uh, just knowing that his family is grieving is is a difficult thing. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting, don't think it was coincidental that this morning in the equipping hour, we started a series on grieving. And the message today is on dwelling with God. God is good. So as we continue our series that we've been doing through the Psalms, we're talking about flourishing and what it means to flourish and how do we flourish in the Christian life. We talked about things, uh, components that are necessary in our life for us to be able to flourish in our Christian walk with Jesus. Things like surrendering, things like meditating on God's word, confessing sin, and all of those things. Today we're going to look in in Psalm 84 about dwelling with God. Which if you think about it, there is no flourishing apart from dwelling with God. Can a pastor get an amen? Amen. All right? If we are where God is not, we are not flourishing, right? And yet it seems to be somewhat of a struggle. It's refreshing to read this psalm and to see the intensity of the psalmist as he is declaring his desire to be where the presence of the Lord is. And yet in our lives, There are so many distractions that pull us away from God. It seems like a struggle for us to make a little bit of time to be with God or to put our attention on God. And I think there are some reasons for that. I think the psalmist in this psalm, the language that he uses gives us some hints for some of that. We have such a blessing to live when we do, to know that as believers in Jesus, we have the Spirit of God living with us, that we don't have to journey to some far distant place to get to meet with God. That God isn't restricted to a room and a building and a place, but that he is in our hearts and he is in this place. And that is an encouraging and a wonderful thing, isn't it? So I come back to myself and I think, why do I struggle? Why do I struggle to want to spend time with God? Why do I struggle to make time to devote myself to push away the noise of life and to sit down and spend time with him? Do you ever ask that? Do you look at this psalm in the way that the psalmist wrote that and think, do I really long for God the way this guy did? 
I think there are some times, and it's usually when I'm in trouble, right? Or it's usually when I really, really, really need God to come through for me. All of a sudden, it's very easy for me to focus and make time for God because I need him. But the dirty little secret is I need him every day. And it's arrogance that makes me think otherwise. And so as we think about how is it that we go from this morning today for the rest of our spiritual walk, and we look at dwelling with God and flourishing differently, how do we do that? How do we become the kind of person, and you've met these people, you can just tell they walk with God that God is the priority of their life. It just oozes out of them. How do we become those types of people? Well, we're gonna look at primarily the first four verses and then verse 10 today. This is a psalm, uh, a, a psalm of a pilgrimage. The language that you're gonna see is temple language and, and kind of the idea is that this, this psalmist is longing to get to the temple or has been to the temple. There's some confusion as far as exactly what it was written, not important. But he's talking about getting to the presence of the God and that's, that's what we wanna do this morning. So let's read once again the first four verses of Psalm 84. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young near the altars, Lord of armies, my God and my King. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. So as I looked at that, there, there are two primary drivers of the desire of this psalmist to want to be with God conditions that exist that make it natural for him to want that desire. Those are, he has and is expressing a knowledge of God, an understanding of God, and then he's also expressing a trust in God. So in order for us to really desire to be with God, it's really important that we kind of know him, right? If a pro athlete walked in the door right there, they were a big person, you would look at them, and if you didn't know who they were or what they accomplished, you would just say, whoa, you're big. <laughs> but if you knew that it was Michael Jordan, then you might have known all of the awards that he had won and all of the things that he had accomplished and all the money he's made and all the contract, all of this stuff, you would have a different appreciation for this individual and what they'd accomplished. A lot of the times I think that we don't have the knowledge of God that causes us to stand in awe of who he is. And the psalmist is going down this list and he starts by saying, I long and I yearn for you in verse two. And the reason that he could do that is because he knows God. He has a knowledge of God. So much so that the language here he is saying when he says he longs and he yearns is that he is absolutely emotionally spent desiring to be with God and wanting to be with God. Have you ever been like that with something dumb 
you know, whether it's, you know, new car or trip that you're going to go on or something and you just can't get your mind off it. You're always thinking of it. You're jumping on the computer. You're looking at it and you just can't wait for it to happen. Wouldn't that be great if that was like this guy, that was God that we were talking about? So we look at that and say, well, how could you get that way about God? Well, for this guy, it was probably fueled by past experience, whether it was him personally or his people. He understood what it meant to be in the presence of God in the temple. And he knows a lot of the details about God. He says, oh Lord, to be in your dwelling place. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place? As a dude, if I can use that term, lovely is not in my vocabulary. I don't walk into somebody's house and say, oh, this is lovely. I love what you've done with the place. Isn't that rug from Elements? And I think sometimes when we read this and we say, oh, lovely is, is the Lord's dwelling place. It's just, you know, the, the ornaments, the way that's laid out, and the gold and the silver and the trinkets, oh, it's just lovely. It's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this place is loved. This place is desired. This place has a special meaning. Um, there's, there's an old bluegrass song and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to stretch you guys a little bit culturally whenever I speak. It just, do we have anybody in the room that listens to bluegrass? We've got one. Thank you for that. You don't need to know bluegrass to know this. But this song is about this boy that grew up in the deep south along the Mississippi River. And every day he would get up and he'd go across the hot sand down to the river and go fishing and skip rocks. And his friends were there, had nicknames for him, and he knew all the people. It was just a wonderful, idyllic place that he grew up in. But then he grew up and moved away. And he got busy with life and he kept thinking, I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back. And, I, and he never did until he got old. And then he went back and what he found was that the place where he would go walked down the sand to the fishing hole was now a street with sidewalks. And the house that he grew up in was torn down and it wasn't even there anymore. And all the people that were his friends had moved away and there wasn't anybody left. So what he had was this thing in his heart of this upbringing of this really important experience of his life that he wanted to go back to that didn't even exist. The psalmist here is expressing that desire. There was something so important, so special about being with God. The good thing is, is that God does still exist. And he wants back to that place. That place is loved. That dwelling place of God, that presence of God for them was in the temple. But there's just something in his heart that just can't wait to get back to that. There's that desire to be with God because it was so sweet, because it was so good. He knew the dwelling place of God. He knew the courts of God, the altars of God. Again, this is kind of temple language. But he also knew the titles of God. You know, if Michael Jordan walked in, there's probably somebody in this room that's a huge Michael Jordan fan that would know all the titles, all the awards, all the accolades, all of that. This psalmist knows these titles of God. He says, Lord of armies, talking about the power and the might and the awesomeness of God, refers to him as the Lord, Yahweh, God, living God, my King, my God, God of Zion, God of Jacob. He knows God. 
He knows about him. He knows God. And that knowledge has fueled his ability to desire to be with God. For us to grow in appreciation for our dwelling with God today, I think it's important for us to understand what it looked like in the scriptures for the people in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament because it was different back then than it is today as far as God dwelling with his people in the Old Testament. We know that in in the beginning, God created everything and his desire, his plan was that man would have open access to God in relationship with him. And we we saw that in in, uh, Genesis chapter three, that God came to talk with the man and his wife and it was beautiful and it was pure and it was innocent and it was transparent. That's what God wanted. That's what God created. God wanted us to dwell together and to be in relationship together. That was his plan. But that was broken by sin. So then we move down and Moses was God's representative. And Moses went up on the mountain to be with God because God was going to meet him in a place up on the mountain, right? And there was a cloud that went over the mountain and Noah, or, uh, Moses went up into the cloud to meet with God. And the second time it says that he went, the first one didn't go too well. The second time he goes up there, he comes down off of the mountain and, and Moses' face is shining. It's like glowing and everybody's like stepping back, looking at him like, what in the world? So he had to put a veil over him because the glory of God, even though it was veiled, was shining off of his face, but he had to go to that place to meet with God. In the Exodus, God dwelt with his people and led them out of Egypt as a cloud by day and a fire by night. And then finally, Solomon built the temple, you'll remember, and it was magnificent. And God, after Solomon's long prayer in 1 Kings chapter 9, God said to Solomon, I will consecrate the temple and be there at all times. That's where God's presence was to be, in the temple. God spoke to his people through his prophets in the Old Testament. You'll remember that. Uh, One of my favorite, and I know that I've shared this before, but I I just can't help it, is is, uh, Elisha. And Elisha had made Aram, the king of Aram, really mad because he outwitted him all the time. And finally, he sent all of his armies to destroy Elisha. And then this poor guy, the servant of Elisha, it says, when the servant of the man of God got up early in the morning and went out, now I'm I'm guessing that's because they didn't have indoor plumbing back in the day. So he got up, he went outside, and he looks around, and there are all of the armies surrounding the city. And he starts to panic, and he goes back in, and talks to Elisha and says, we got a big, big problem. The city is surrounded by horses and chariots, and we're in big trouble. And Elisha very calmly says, don't worry about it. And he prays and says, God opened his eyes. And God opened his eyes so that he could see that there were just, the mountains were full of horses and chariots. But they weren't just chariots, they were chariots of fire. So much so that it, it dwarfed the number that were coming against him. God did that. God communicated with them in a different way. God dwelt with them in a different way, but God was with his people, and he didn't abandon them. The downside of that 
And I think the context that sometimes we forget is that God is awesome too. And he is powerful. Leviticus chapter 10 tells the story of Nadab and Abihu. They were two priests. They were the sons of Aaron. And they were offering up an offering, but they did it in the wrong way. They did it, let's say, illegally. And God not only consumed their sacrifice with fire, but he consumed them as well. God is a God to be feared. Not that he's going to hurt us, but that he could. He is a powerful and an awesome God. Noah saw that looking from the ark and seeing the devastation of the entire earth. The Egyptians saw it as they were chasing after the nation of Israel. They were looking at the, the water that was being held back and then to have their lives snuffed out. Uzzah and the ark, you you remember the ark of the covenant was being carried along and the ox stumbled and the ark went to fall and Uzzah reached out to keep it from falling and that was forbidden. And because he did that, he was struck dead. Our God is not a God to be trifled with. Our God is not a weak God. Our God is not a fearful God. Our God is an awesome God. God. It is such a privilege for us to be able to dwell with him. But we need to, in our minds, we need to put him in his proper place in our lives. He's not our buddy. He's not our co-pilot. He's not just there to help us out. when we, He is an awesome God. And so in the New Testament, we move forward now. Now Jesus comes on the scene. God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ changes everything. Jesus is making a way for us as believers to have direct access to God and not to have to go to a place where God existed. I thought it was interesting that Jesus was talking to the Jews there and they were upset that he was saying he was going to tear down the temple, build it, rebuild it in three days. They didn't understand what he meant was the temple is going to be in my body and in my followers. It's not, no longer going to be in a place. He said in John chapter 16, he said, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. But if I go away, the counselor, or if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. If I go, I will send him to you. Jesus was saying to his disciples who didn't want him to die, he said, I have to die because when I die, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send to you the Spirit to live within you. I am with you, but he is going to be in you. Now all of a sudden, we don't have to go to a place called the temple to, to interact with the presence of God. The presence of God is within us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. As Jesus was dying on the cross, he said it is finished in the veil in the temple that separated the presence of God from the, the holy place was torn, representing our access to God. The day of Pentecost, we see in Acts chapter 2, 
We see the Spirit coming down on the church as little tongues of fire. I have no idea what that looks like, okay? But he's trying to describe it the best that he can. And came upon all those believers. Just as Jesus said, I will send my Spirit, and the Spirit will be within you. And you will be priests. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, Peter says, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tested that the Lord is good, if you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourself as living stones, a spiritual house, as being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's a paradigm shift. Now we are the people of God. We are the living stones. We are the spiritual house being built as a holy priesthood. God's presence used to be in a place. Now God's presence is with us. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project put it this way, said, you are an expression of God's temple presence to the world. (laughs) That's quite a statement, isn't it? Do you see yourself as that? As you get up and get dressed and you go to work and you go out and you go to come and go and you get your coffee and you do whatever you do, do you see yourself as an expression of God's temple presence to the world. That responsibility is you because the Spirit of God lives within you as a believer. And it is awesome. The psalmist had experienced the goodness of God in a deeply personal and powerful way, and so have we. Since knowledge of God is key to deepening our desire to God, how do we grow in our knowledge of God? This is by studying the scriptures, which we have never lived in a time when it's easier to do, right? You can get these for free. All you have to do is pick it up and read it and study it. Also, by consuming good Bible teaching, learning from those, I mean, again, you could go out and podcast videos. There, there are so many good resources that we can go out by topic, by passage, by speaker, and learn and consume good biblical teaching. Learning from other believers and historical faith leaders. God is at work in the lives of everybody in this room. And as we talk to each other, we hear what God is doing in your life, and I can share with you what God is doing in my life, and we can say, isn't God awesome? And we learn more about God by seeing what God is doing. We can learn from each other as we do that. And then by experience, by living a life with God and seeing him in action every day, seeing God work in other people and seeing God use you, use us, to accomplish his plan. That is the coolest thing, isn't it? If you've ever been in a situation, usually it's unexpected, where you're talking to somebody and some words come out of your mouth 
And that person's life is forever changed because of the words that came out of your mouth that you didn't put together. And you say, wow, God just did that. If God can do that, God can do anything. And as we live our lives and we see that happen, we become more acquainted with and deeper in our knowledge of God. And it is a wonderful thing. The more that we know God, the more that we love him. Okay? And so as I, as I looked at the psalmist, I saw a person who knew deeply God. But then secondly, I didn't just know him. He trusted him. There's a lot of trust language in this. We see a number of de- declarative statements that evidence a level of unwavering trust. He says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord grants favor. The Lord does not withhold good. Happy is the person who trusts you. These are very powerful declarative statements that this is true. He had a deep trust in God. And these endorsements, these are endorsements of faith. The key verse in this whole, in my opinion, chapter is verse 10. It says, better a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than to live in the tents of, the wicked, of wicked people. Better. It is better. He is better. His presence is better than anything else. He is better. The Lord's dwelling place is better than anything you have. Do you have anything that you value really highly? Most of us would say, you know, things like, well, yeah, my, my marriage, my family, my career, my home, some of those things. What, what is it in your life that you would say, if this thing were taken out of my life, I would be devastated. As good as that thing is, God is better. He's not just better than everything you have, he's also better than anything you want. You know, we all have wants, don't we? We we live in a marketing culture that tells us all the things that we should want and should have. You may want a new job. You may want to be married. You want, may want to have children. You may want to have more children. You may want a new house, a new car. For the nerds in the room, you may want more books, you know, bigger library. There you go. Whatever it is, whatever you want, those wants are the things that distract us, right? Especially, you know, the, the, the relational ones. They really can take over our thoughts and our minds and distract us. and and cause us to think about them over and over again. And yet the reality is, as good as those things can be, he is better. He is better. So the question for us is, are we willing to put all of the things that we have and all of the things that we want underneath him? Are we willing to prize him above all other things? The psalmist said that he would forego everything 
to be in the presence of God. He said, I'd rather stand on the threshold of the house of my God than to live in the tents of wicked people. Think about that contrast. Don't know exactly what he's talking about here, but in my mind, give me a little grace. I see this guy going to the temple and he's not allowed in, but he just wants to stand close because this is God's dwelling place and I just want to be close. I just just want to stand here and I want to be near where God is. Now, all of my friends are over here partying and watching the game and doing all kinds of things and they're having a big old time and that's fun, but... For me, I would rather be right here standing on the threshold next to the presence of God because I value that more than anything else. I want to be in proximity to God. About 10 years ago, my first wife Pam died. And when she did... All I wanted to do was to be with her, but I couldn't because she was gone. I didn't have any desire at that time to go watch football games or play golf or do anything. All I wanted to do was go sit by her grave. Just honesty. My heart was there. I knew her. I experienced life with her. She gave birth to my children. Everything was there. I just wanted to be there because I loved her. Nothing else in life was as important to me as being with her. And as I was going through that grieving process, there was a really, really difficult question I had to answer. Did I love her more than God? Was I more excited, and I'm going to create uh, just a made-up scenario, so don't eschatologically tear me apart, but was I looking forward when I died to seeing her more than Jesus? That was hard. If I die and I'm coming running into the presence of God, would I run right past Pam to get to God and fall at his feet? That's reality. The good news is that that's where Pam would be. Where are we in our desire to be in the dwelling place of God versus all of the distractions of this life. And some of those distractions are very good things, but if they draw our attention away from God and if they compete with our heart, we have to look at those and say, those are, those are idols, those are wrong. I want what the psalmist wants more than anything. I want to be in the presence of God because that is where I can flourish and I can be the man that God wants me to be. I can be what God created me to be, and I have the ability to bring glory to God, most importantly. The rest of it is just satisfying myself. So if we are going to be able to dwell with God and 
grow our desire to be with God so that we can flourish in him, we need to build our knowledge of him and we need to build our trust in him. Well, how do we build our trust? There are a few things that we can do. We, we talked about the first one, the very first sermon in this series on Psalm chapter one, to meditate on God's word. When we're in a situation where our trust is, is getting a little bit shaky and we're not sure exactly, we need to feed ourselves with truth. We need to go to God's word and feed ourselves with truth. When we're not sure that God's going to come through, we need to go to the truth of the word and feed and then meditate on that and say it over and over and over again. And then pray. Parker already used this, but Mark chapter 9, there was a man that had a son that was demon-possessed, and they did everything they could to get this boy some help, and finally Jesus came, and this man went to Jesus and said, please, would you heal my son? And he said, if you believe, he will be healed. And the man understood his own weakness. He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. There are times that all of us get a little bit shaky in our faith and we can go to God and say, God, I'm just human. I need your supernatural help in this situation. Give me the faith. Give me the faith to trust you in this situation. And another way that our trust in him grows is just by experience living intentionally our lives and not accidentally. Going out and living the life that God has asked us to live. Had a great message last week about, you know, considering the poor stepping out and doing what Jesus did, living intentionally and seeing what God is going to do. As we do that, that, that uh, builds our resolve and our trust in him. For all of us this morning, there is a deeper level of trust. There is a deeper level of knowledge that we can go to. There is a deeper level of dwelling with God. that we should all be striving for. And I think it's appropriate for us to pray that God would help us in this to see that he has given us everything that we need. All we have to do is, is push away the noise of life and turn our attention to the presence of God. So the two reflection questions for today, what are you willing to do to deepen your knowledge of God? And then what are you willing to do to deepen your trust in God? There's a person in this room, myself included, that doesn't have room to grow, that doesn't have room to improve in these areas. So it comes down to intentionally making plans to grow in these areas so that we can dwell more fully with God in our life and we can flourish, which brings glory to him. I'm going to pray and then we'll, uh, we'll move to communion. Let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you this morning for the fact that Jesus made a way for us to dwell with you through the spirit that lives within us. 
And Lord, forgive us for the times that we take that for granted. And I pray that you would help us, help us in our desire to see that there's nothing in this life to compare to you and that it is our honor and our privilege to be able to spend time with you. I pray that you would help all of us to really grasp that and to start practicing that so that we can understand it more fully. Lord, our desire is to dwell with you more fully and to flourish in this life that you have given to us. But we need your help, and we ask for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Ankeny Gospel. Thank you.